Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. And uh, uh, Zach gave me a piece of paper with a little story on it about a young girl who uh, was eight years old. She didn't have a Bible in another country. And uh, she didn't have enough money to buy one. And they were from a very poor family. And then she started saving. And after eight years, when she turned 16 years of age, she had enough money uh, to get her a Bible. And so she had to walk 25 miles, 25 miles to this bishop's house who had Bibles. And she finally got there. And he said all of them had been spoken for, but since she had walked that distance, he would go on and sell her one. And so she purchased the Bible, and then she walked back home. And you stop and think about that. Uh, today, we have Bibles on our shelves, uh, several, and uh, we just kind of take it for granted. And uh, we don't realize uh, what we have in our hands in truth, and it's the very Word of God. And the title of my message this morning is, Why Should We Love the Word? Why Should We Love the Word? Well, we know this, that God's Word is absolute truth to mankind. If you ever want to know what absolute truth is, just look at the Word of God. And it speaks to our life. Uh, We know this about the Word. The Word is infallible. That means it has no mistakes, no errors. It's flawless. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect. And so that's pretty good, isn't it? And then uh, the law is, uh, the word is inerrant. Uh, That means all scriptures, all words, all parts, all letters, all punctuations, all time is all just perfect, sinless in a sense. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says this here. Every word of God is pure. He is the shield unto them that put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. He says in Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. They are pure words because they're inerrant. Not only that, the word is complete. It's complete. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, you have uh, 39 books there. In the New Testament Greek, you have 27 books there. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, 19, it tells us that his word is so complete that man is not to add or subtract from it. That's what it says. And then the word of God is authoritative. It has authority. It states, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and I have brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. I've spoken, but you've still rebelled. But God has spoken. And then it states in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The light is in the word of God, isn't it? And then the word of God is effective. Isaiah 55, 1. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. 
And I'm grateful. I always remember there was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, uh, he was very, very boring. And uh, they, they were having a Sunday school meeting, and I happened to go to it. I was teaching uh, junior high kids then. And uh, they, they were talking about him, and he says, you know, I'm just a boring guy and that. And somebody says, but the word will never return void. And uh, that encouraged him. And it kind of lifted his spirits up, and he tried to be a better teacher from that time on. But the word of God won't return void, will it? Uh, the word of God is effective. To show you how much, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this here. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For doctrine there means teaching based upon God's truth. For reproof means to expose error that's held and lived by people. For correction is to straighten out the wrong in one's life and for instruction in righteousness to the ways of God. So the word of God is effective, isn't it? It states in the next verse 17 that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That the man of God may be perfect. That means the word of God is effective because it helps you to become matured. You're wiser. You're more balanced. You're an adult in the faith. So the word of God, if you read it and follow it and believe it, is effective in your life. Amen? And then also, the word of God is eternal. Psalm 119, verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It states in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So, I'm grateful that I have a book called the Bible that's the very word of God that is eternal. Amen? So it's, what, infallible, it's inerrant, it's complete, it's authoritative, it's effective, but also it's eternal. It will stand forever, not fall. It will live forever, not die. It will abide forever, not depart. It will endure forever, not fail. And it will settle forever, not change. Amen? That's the Bible that we have. But if the Bible of God, if it cannot be trusted, we're left to nothing more than man's opinions and man's experiences. And we see that all the time. Most of the day, they major on what is truth according to the experience that they're in or their feelings. And so today, experience and feelings have become the judge if something is right or something is wrong. And it's not tested by the word of God. And as a result of that, within the church and Christendom, this has led to flesh-controlled feelings, experience-motivated worship, sound bites without substance, Passion devoid of principle, zeal without knowledge, untrue and artificial. Christendom is becoming a movement full of sound, full of energy, signifying 
nothing. Amen. The word of God also is preserved. Psalm 12 again, in verse 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt, what? Preserve them from this generation forever. That's what he says right there. And it's been translated perfectly so we can understand in our own language in the King James Bible. If anyone claims the King James Version has errors, they are denying God preserved his word perfectly. Sean Braxton says this, I magnify and rely upon the King James Version Bible unapologetically as high as God himself does. And how high does God hold it? Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That means God holds it up pretty high. Don't you think we ought to hold it up pretty high? Amen. But we know, and by the way, I'm going to mention some things. And for some of you, you might not quite grasp it, but you have to be introduced to it a little bit so you can do further research and study it out yourself. That's very, very important. There's been attack on truth going on for lots of years. Our so-called scholars tell us that God had lost his word for hundreds of years. This was until the 1880s when two men came on the scene by the name of Westcott and Hort. They used the supposed true text, they said. They put those two texts and their own thoughts together, and they gave man their new Bible. It was called the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. Version. And when that was brought out, most of Christianity rejected it. Their two texts are called, now get this, this tough words, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Now that sounds strange, okay? But they're Roman Catholic manuscripts. They were found in 1481 in the Vatican Library, and the other one was found in 1844 in a Roman Catholic monastery in a wastebasket. Isn't that amazing? And in the four Gospels alone, these two manuscripts disagree with one another 3,000 times. And they're trying to tell us these are the good manuscripts. By the way, the King James Version texts are the Hebrew, the Masoretic, that's the Hebrew, and the Greek, which is, we call it, the received text or the textus receptus. And these two Greek texts, by the way, they agree with 99% of available texts. That's amazing. We have over 200 modern English Bibles. That's overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> that come from 
Alexandria, Westcott, Hort, corrupt texts. By the way, Westcott and Hort both rejected the atonement of Christ for sinners. Both were evolutionists. Both denied the first three chapters of Genesis as being literal. And Westcott was a Catholic, and he did spiritual, spiritism, seances, and stuff like that. Most modern Bibles, and by the way, that's Satan's counterfeits. Uh, you need to understand that when the seed is sown, uh, the wheat is sown, so is the tares. And he has counterfeits, doesn't he? And most of them, when they interpret the Bible from their corrupt text, they still use what's known as dynamic equivalency. And that means they translated thought for thought, not word for word, thoughts for thoughts. And in doing that, they added and subtracted from the true word of God. Those who claim the Bible translators are equal are dishonest. They use publishers or they are led by publishers that are hungry for money. And by the way, one of the reasons we have so many Bibles is the fact of publishers, they want to make more money and more money and more money upon gullible Christians and Christendom. Remember, in Bible versions, the main issue is not always translation, but the texts used which are untrustworthy. If you have a bad text, you're going to get a bad interpretation. Let me say, if you have bad text, you're not going to get the correct text interpretation. Okay? If you begin to translate, not from the pure text that God has protected and preserved, if you don't use them and you use the corrupt text, then you will constantly be changing in a wrong way. Dr. Donald Waite, I had him at Emmanuel. He's a great Greek scholar, and uh, he graduated, doctor's degree, and then also got a second doctor's degree in Greek. And uh, he tells us why we use the pure text, the Textus Receptus, for the Greek mainly. You have the Hebrew, Masoretic, you have the received text for the Greek. 99% agrees with the Textus Receptus, okay? In Westcott and Hort's text, compared to the King James Greek text, they change 10,000 words. Matter of fact, they leave enough words out in their corrupt text. They leave enough words that would be equivalent to First and Second Peter that they don't even put in the Bible. That's amazing. Now, don't miss this. There are 5,255 available fragments, texts of the New Testament preserved and available for today. And out of all those texts, less than 1% agree with Westcott and Hort's text. 99% uh, agree with the Textus Receptus, 
that gives us our King James Bible. Amen? Amen. Superior text. Then Dr. Waite said superior translators. In a time when you didn't have telephones and TVs and satellites and computers and everything, and you walked everywhere just about, unless you were lucky to have a horse, back in those days in 1604 to 1611, there were giants of the faith back then, and they came together. They had character, academics, languages, honesty, openness. They were masters of English, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. They were tremendous. I read the stories on it. It's just unbelievable, these guys. And sorry to the guys today, by the way, when you compare the intellectuals of today with the intellectuals of yesterday, those of today, they are linguistically illiterate in comparison. And that's just a fact. Then there are superior technique. When they translated from the proper text, they did it for the King James word for word, literal, word for word, because they held that each word was God-breathed. Each word was God's word. Not like most today where they thought for thought. Matter of fact, Westcott and Hort they put words in that were never, ever, even in the text itself. And then another reason is superior theology. The King James people, they always honored doctrine and especially the Christ deity, the deity of Christ. Modern Bibles, they say no doctrine is affected. That is a lie. Dr. Jack Mormon's book shows 356 doctrinal passages being changed by Westcott and Hort, the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus text. And even though they might leave a truth in the Bible, they keep drawing from it like a vampire. They suck the life out. They downgrade certain truth. For instance, they omit Jesus 36 times, Christ 44 times, Lord 35 times, God 31 times, and other names 30 times. So they keep lowering a truth. Why would you do something like that? So the question comes, today do we have an infallible, inerrant word? And the answer is yes. In the King James Version Bible. It's just that simple. It's the best, purest, reverence, fruitful, unifying scriptures for the English-speaking people of the world. And by the way, we have no problem. If somebody wants to translate word for word, actually word for word, from the proper text, we're not saying that's a bad thing. We don't believe they could ever do it as good as King James Bible translators. But they, what did they, I understand that. But my point is, why do we go and use inferior translations of the modern Bibles when we have the greatest one that's ever been produced? Even some grace groups, 
They say all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inerrant in the originals. Now, when they say in the originals, those are the first ones ever written. When they say that, that's insinuating, it's possible, we don't have an inspired, inerrant Bible today when you say that. Here's my two questions. In all of Christendom, have they or those for hundreds of years ever seen the originals? And the answer is no. Why? They were worn out. Even from Paul's time, they were copies. When Christ was on earth, it was copies. But God promised there was a certain text he would protect and preserve. And we believe that to be the King James Bible. To believe only in the originals as being inerrant and inspired, now get this, denies God's promise to keep his inerrant word from generation to generation. God promised he would. Are you going to believe God or not? Amen? Psalm 12, 6 and 7 again. The words of the Lord are pure words of silver tried in the furnace. Of, I had to memorize that, by the way, when I was in English class of all classes. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's his promise. Psalm 105, verse 8. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. In other words, if a generation is 20 years, that's 20,000 years. If a generation is 30 years, that's 30,000 years. In other words, forever. <laughs> now, there's evidence of changing truth in modern Bibles. Now, just here's some examples, and I'll try to go through them fast. Mark chapter 1, verse 2, as is written in the prophets. What? That's plural, isn't it? What does, what does S mean? More than one, okay? And he said, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, John the Baptist, which shall prepare thy way, Christ, and so on. There is a quotation, that is a quotation of Malachi 3.1. The next verse, in verse 3, says this. Mark 1.3, guys. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's a quotation of Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says there that we just saw, as it is written in the prophets, that's two prophets there. The modern Bible say this, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, singular. That means that's an error. Hello? That is an error. Just that simple. Luke 2.22. And when the days of her purification, according to the law and so on. Wait a minute. Her purification, right? Who's her? Mary. Her perfect pur uh, purification. Mary. 
The modern Bible says, and the days of their purification. Wait a minute. Is that referring to Mary and Christ? I thought Christ was sinless. Amen? John 3, 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, now get this, which is in heaven. You see that which is in heaven? In modern Bibles, it's gone. And what that does, that takes away from the omnipresence of Almighty God. Christ is omnipresent. Acts 8, 36 and 7. And they, as they went on their way, they came into certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, go back to verse 37 there again, if you would, guys, you wouldn't mind. Verse 37. Do you know in modern Bibles that whole verse is gone? That whole verse is gone. That would indicate then you could be baptized to be saved because it leaves that part out. Hello? 1 John 5, 7. 1 John 5, 7. And there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Just leave that there for a second, guys. Now, right there, the Father, who's the Word? Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. That's an affirmation of the Trinity of God, and they are equal, okay? In the modern Bibles, it says, for there are three that testify, and there's nothing else. It just completely takes away the Trinity. And even in their modern Bible, the next verse, they leave the Father out. Denying the Trinity even. 1 Timothy 3.16, I'm about done. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now get this. Who? God was manifest in the flesh. Who was, who became flesh? But he is God, okay? In modern Bibles, it states he appeared in a body. He. Why did they remove God and put he? Why lessen his greatness? And the last one, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study, and by the way, they just remove that completely. Study to show thyself approved in God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. They say, the modern Bibles say, that you will correctly handle the word of truth. That's not what it says to just correctly handle the word of Christ, we are to correctly divide the word of truth. Innocence, conscience, huh? government, promise, law, grace, kingdom, divide. And they completely remove that. 
I found it shocking, actually. In most popular English-speaking Bibles, the number one in 2008 was the NIV, New International Version. Now it's being pushed by the ESV Bible. And so just remember, the majority usually never flocks to the truth. Uh, the reason I say that, they don't have bookstores anymore like they used to have, Christian bookstores. Remember those days? And uh, so you go online, and if you go to a bookstore, you happen to find one, and you go to it, and you go to Bible sections, they have all these Bibles in a little section, King James. Have, have you noticed that? And so we just see that all the time. But here's my heart's burden. Young people have been told that the King James Version is too archaic for them. So they need modern versions with culture's slang, street language, so they can understand. And all we say to that is what Sean Braxton said, shame. Whatever happened to the word study, if you don't know a word, get your English dictionary and find it. It's real simple. Amen. Now you can just Google it. <laughs> you can find it out real, real easy. I've noticed over the last number of years, as we've seen in our country, we, had, we held God up pretty strong back in the 50s, right, 60s. And it began to go down and go down and go down and go down and go down. Begin, beginning to see an absence of God honor, honoring, reverence for God go down. At the same time, we've seen the increase of modern Bibles going up, going up. As God goes down, the modern Bibles go up and go up and go up. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. I remember when I was at Tennessee Temple, we had a teacher that corrected the King James quite a bit. And I had other students, man, they'd go at him. I was wondering why they, you know, I, I didn't understand at the moment. So that forced me to say, what in the world are they talking about? So I begin to study, and I begin to find materials, and I begin to study what the Word and, and all this textual thing and all these things, and you come to the conclusion the King James Version is the Word of God. It's better than the NIV, the ESV, or any of them. And you begin to get a conviction there. In Tennessee Temple, when I was there, they were at their zenith, their peak. There are probably 10,000 students. You can go from kindergarten get you, all the way up and get your doctor's degree. And it was amazing. And they stood, for, they stood for salvation by grace and these things. I graduated, and Carol and I went on vacation as we were coming back through Chattanooga, they have a radio station, radio station. So I tuned in, see, because it's time for their services. And so we got it on our radio. And the new guy they had in there, 
who promised he'd stay with the King James Bible, he was reading from the Living Bible. Yeah. A paraphrase, by the way, not word for word. I heard that. I about came out of my car because <laughs> I know what they've said. I said, he just split the school right down the middle, and he did. They began to go in that direction. Do you know that today, Tennessee Temple, that when I was there had 10,000, does not even exist today. Does not exist. Somebody else bought their facilities and they got some of their original papers and they have them over at Piedmont Bible College now. And I'm telling you, I know with all my heart, it was when they left that King James Bible that they began to slide and begin to accept just about anything and God wrote Ichabod over that school. And it's gone. I mean, gone. So all I'm saying to you, don't get upset when people criticize you or get on you. Y'all, you still use that old book? Amen. Don't be ashamed of it. Embrace it. Show them where their errors are in their Bible. Oh, that verse is gone right there. Did you know that? Oh, and go down. There are hundreds of these things you can use, hundreds of them to show them they have errors in their Bible. But let me say something to you. You show me an error in mine. Now, it might take me a little while to study it out. You know, I got a ticket. I, I was watching one. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to close it. But I, I was watching one, and they said uh, this uh, uh, David killed Goliath's brother. Not Goliath. Isn't that amazing? His brother. I mean, there are so many things. And all I'm saying to you, you got that old book. I got it down here somewhere. The old King James Bible right here. That old black book. I owe my life to it. It's what I was saved on. It's what more fruit, true fruit, has ever been resulting in a Bible is this King James Bible right here. You put all of the other movements together, they don't add up to the fruit that this book has produced. Because this is the infallible, inerrant, protected, preserved, because God promised it. I believe it. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. May we never be ashamed of it. May we never back away from it. May we study. May we learn what the debate is. But then may we come to that conclusion, as always, this is your word. And may we love it, cherish it, read it, study it, believe it, because it talks of you. The only way we know you is through this book. So may we cherish it in Jesus' name. We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. 
We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.